Hi everyone, today we are here with Linda Herman and she's going to tell us a little bit of her background and extensive background in co-housing and her upcoming projects. Yes, now please introduce yourself. Hi everybody, I'm Linda Herman and um, I am a development consultant slash owner's rep slash project manager that helps uh, communities bring co-housing projects as well as all other kinds of projects um, to fruition. And I sort of got here by sort of a roundabout way, but uh, very fortuitous in that um, I had the idea in college, like, oh my God, wouldn't it be great to grow old with your closest friends, but you each had your own little place, but there was a great room where you could all hang out together and you know this is like 1971 72 and the words co-housing were in my brain anyway went off and had a career in social work and then actually became an interior designer and then morphed into a project manager and along the way took various development uh, programs and classes and stuff like that and then in 2004, I had a major medical episode in my life that was like, okay, if I'm going to try to do something that I've always wanted to do, now would be the time to do it. And the, and the word senior co-housing came to me, I don't know where, and I remember Googling senior co-housing in 2004 and actually being a little shocked that <laughs> there were things that came up, like, oh, I guess I'm not the only one who thought about this. Anyway, long story short, took training, took training with Chuck Durrett, went to like all available development workshops about co-housing and met in 2007 at a training, met a gentleman who was already in the senior space in California providing uh, assisted living and skilled nursing. We kept bumping into each other at various co-housing conferences and then he called in 2011 to say hey i bought a piece of land i want you to come help me build this co-housing community which i did and that's in oakland california phoenix commons and um what i a that was a great honor and was thrilled to do that but also it was an opportunity to do a project differently where he while he isn't a professional developer, he bought the land, he put the whole team together, he put all the money at risk, he went for his entitlements, you know, like a regular real estate development project, like, frankly, co-housing projects are, but alongside that is when we started building the community, which was being built around community issues, not building issues. And that's my firm belief that you can build community even if you're not building a building. You don't need to build the building to build community, right? So all there, all that work was focused around social, getting to know each other, doing the marketing, going to fairs or going to this event or that event, you know, to build, you know, kind of what all co-housing communities have to do. They just didn't have to be hassled with building a building <laughs> because my client and me and the professional team were taking care of it where the where the community got to have influence was in their individual units like countertops cabinet colors all the finishes they there were a 
you know, a number of palettes that you could choose from. So you got within your, what you were paying, you were, you had choice. And the same for the common spaces. There was a design committee formed amongst the community. I brought everything to them and they made decisions. You know, they narrowed down from four to two, brought it to the wider community. Everybody voted and said, yep, we want carpet A and cabinet B and paint C, you know, whatever it was. And they also, the common space, like 7,000 square feet of common space, aside from where the kitchen was and the bathrooms and laundry, because that had to be done as part of the building design, they, again, picked all the finishes, you know, for all the common space and, um, and, I, and, and functionality for a lot of the rooms, too, because they were just open space. So this is the multi-purpose room, and this was the living room, and that became the library, and we threw up a wall so they could have a gym, and they threw in a giant spa-resistant pool thing where we had plumbed for a potential spa. I love so it. the community had a lot of say functionally with how the common space, but again, they, um, they were a well-functioning community, you know, with their agreements and operating guidelines and all that by the time they moved in again along. So, you know, they're parallel paths. Building is getting built over here and community is getting built over here. And, and I was like the link between the two tidbits. Okay, so how much hand holding is there? Because most, you know, the idea of co-housing is everyone forms community by making all those decisions on land and housing and getting the money and, and the stress involved with that. And then sometimes they're like, uh-oh, wait, we now live here together. <laughs> um, so how, and how much, and then the other model, of course, uh, which is seems easier because the money part, the a developer is doing it, but then there might be a lack of that community. So how did you now, encourage a, it and make that happen? Yeah, so uh, A, my clients had a big focus on making sure community was built. So he, again, he's not a developer by profession, so he, he very much gets what the secret sauce of co-housing is. And he, beside me, besides hiring me to basically run the overall project, he hired someone who um, specifically as a facilitator for the community building. And they had weekly meetings mm -hmm. and they had monthly dinners and they had field trips and they visited co-housing communities. And again, they did a lot of social events. It was a lot of glue building just so people felt, you know, glued together by the time they moved in. Um, and, you know, all the decisions around how you do you how you use the kitchen and all the decisions around what are you know maintenance and this is and that's he handled all that so you know and they developed their you know meeting protocols with this you know red card meant this and a yellow card meant that and a blue card meant something else and you know he handled all that so they really benefited from having someone not just as a consultant coming in periodically or for some set period of time but through the whole project once you know once let's say three people were signed up that they started meeting you know so there was and it, it had zero to do with the building mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. it was a ton of time spent and zero you know i would come and report about the building and they would often have questions and there were various um 
causes caused by municipalities and different agencies and this is and that's which it's stuff all beyond your control so i was the link for all that kind of information and i was the link for all that interior design stuff you know i was the one who met with everybody individually and helped them pick their stuff and and all that um but he really um his name is crispin was the main community builder and has he done more since then has he done more since then I'm sure people would love to hire him or want him to build more. Oh, him? I think, well, he and two residents from the project have formed, I believe, have formed a consulting group to consult to co-housing communities. I couldn't tell you what they're called at the moment. Okay. But then they actually turned me on to a group of a totally different nature who wants to do a co-housing community but they're in their 30s and they actually want to start forming community now but they don't intend to live there for like 30 years oh wow starting early but yeah starting early and it to potentially be like a vacation or campgrounds or you don't have the infrastructure in place but don't necessarily build all the buildings now but know that this is where we're going to wind up you know because I, I don't know it's like husband or one of the couples as many people find co-housing they're they're taking care of a parent Mm. and trying to find a place for the parent and not happy with the place for the parent and go you know this sucks then by way of whatever research finds the land of co-housing and and then you know leads them to the next thing so they're starting early yeah yeah now um you said, you know, when a developer, they have all the financial risk, and you said that most people, or most projects, you get 25% back, but with co-housing, maybe 10% of your investment? You you gave oh, me you a return number. Return on investment? Mm-hmm. That was it. So, oh, in the, in the real estate world, basic real estate world, when a developer goes to do a project, and they're early in real estate, you do, you do what's called a performa, which is basically you know here's all my expenses here's what i expect to sell at and you know here's the return i want and based on the return of my investment this is what i have to sell for and 25 percent is a very kind of standard real estate investment universe uh, for return on investment co-housing does not does not look to make that kind of money mm-hmm. it's not you know um you know you want to be made whole and you know I'm, I never saw the final finances for Phoenix Commons so I, I, I believe they were made whole I believe everybody's happy um, I believe they're sold out or you know they weren't sold out when we occupied in 2016 there was still a few units mm-hmm. um, but last I was there which I have to say is a couple of years I believe they were all sold out okay it just seems yeah. like so many people want co-housing it is so hard to do it all yourself that there would be a, a great place for developers to do this and then maybe eventually they would make more money i mean they build retirement places all the time that sound similar with yay you're gonna have community and classes so um. right well the major difference is 
between like a your your a standard senior community versus co-housing is there's still someone else in charge yeah. right there's an operator you know who an operator owner or even an owner you know they might hire someone who's an operator they're making all the decisions about what happens i mean i think there's some level of movement where maybe the social director sits around with the residents and says what kind of activities would you like to do but it's 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 not it's not community directed where it's called housing there's nobody but you right mm -hmm. so the community is fully in charge self-determination which you know is actually as we get older is an important thing to just feel like you're not at the mercy of other people right mm -hmm. so I do think it's also a reason why but and and the other part is those kinds of facilities are often funded by um, bonds bondholder groups as are often the primary investors and so often a lot of those kind of communities are hugely expensive to move into is because they're looking to the investor group is really looking for you know a, a standard return on their investment oh okay so okay. yeah right. so but i mean there's enough demand there's enough elders in the universe in <laughs> that i do think if if a developer chose to develop in this space they would be hugely successful mm -hmm. i think if, if co-housing was a housing product with the commitment to building community just like like condos they mm -hmm. pre-sell right i have two two other condo projects in, that i'm doing working on right now and they have pre-sales and people are buying in but there's no they're, they're not intentional communities so nobody's spending time come get to know your neighbors mm -hmm. but you could easily layer that in mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Very nice. That's the secret sauce, not like yeah. is it green or blue. It's getting to know your community and learning how to make decisions together. Right, right. Now, how um, were you able to work with the community as they did settle in? Um, or was it, okay, here are the keys to your house, see you later, and you checked in? Later, no, it was, so. there was definitely, you know, a long tail. I mean, there. what was kind of fun, besides doing their the design with people you know helping them pick their finishes and stuff was also when they were developing uh agreements around like using the kitchen they had me be involved with that just because it was they were making the decisions before the kitchen was fully built mm -hmm. so i was so i was part of it and it makes sense that you need to understand your physical space to make agreements right so I help them with, you know, some of their, you know, what I, what I would call operating agreements around the media room, around the dining room, around the kitchen, you know, um, just helping them understand the space so they can decide how to use it. Mm -hmm. You know, what's the rule if you go down and, you know, get a cup of tea late at night? Do you have to wash your cup right away? Or, or is there a place you could put it that nobody would be offended in the morning? You know, that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. So that was fun nice. to help with that. And and the and then of course once you move into a place aside from the from the community part there's just functional parts like this in my unit and that in my unit and this in the oh. <laughs> so yeah and then how they did you how did you work in because before you move in people have lots of ideals how did you work with the reality and accountability 
Like, let's say the agreement was, sure, we understand. You got up in the middle of the night, you want tea, and you're going to get back to it later. But the cup's but, still but there Crispin, three days later. Crispin, Crispin is still the guy who worked with them through the whole project. He's still involved with the community. Oh. So he's still, he's still there. Okay. So they've had the consistency of someone. Um, he, he works for the my client's company, who, like I said, already had some assisted living communities and skilled nursing. Crispin works for that company. Oh, so, okay. So he's, he's still part of the community. Oh, so helping to keep that secret sauce going. Okay. Yep. Okay. Yep. I think and, I, and my client who built it lives there too. Oh. He bought into it. Oh, okay. So he lives there. But that nice. was an interesting dynamic also because <laughs> he was the developer, but also just a community member. So he uh-huh. didn't really get to have an extra vote. Ah, okay. Interesting. Because yeah. there can be founder's syndrome where people start right. to rebel right. against he, the developer. He recognized that he couldn't, that he couldn't do that. Okay. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I wonder if um, many communities realize, especially if they are building together, how important it is to have outsiders or a few people who do really help with that community building part accountability and you know getting through the bumps and all because it seems like a lot of communities are just okay here you go have fun <laughs> it's a lot yeah. of rough spot and, and and you and to your point about it being someone outside the community i think it does you know it, it needs to be a neutral person that doesn't have any stake in whatever decisions are made you know they're just there to teach decision-making, help facilitate conversation, help unravel conflicts, you know, with no, with no attachment to whether it goes this way or that way. So whereas if it's a, you know, a member of the community being the facilitator, I don't think that works at all. (laughs) Yeah. Or at least people have to learn how to facilitate the smaller meetings and all, and then can get outsiders for when it's not working. Well, just to have well-run meetings. Right. Right. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Very nice. So um, now, have you been able to live in uh, intentional community or is that still your goal for later? Um, Well, I lived with roommates in my college years. And so intentional community on a very small scale, shared Mm -hmm. housing and loved it. And I would love to do it, but my husband is not made that way <laughs> and that happens <laughs> so um so actually where i'm gonna his house is up in sebastopol north of where i am in northern california and there's a horse property next door to his house like a three acre property which my fantasy ever since sort of meeting him has been to buy that not for sale but to buy it and put a small community right there um with you know friends that would like to age in place together and you know everybody have their own like little cottage and that there there is a house on the three acres that i don't know which shape it's in but like the fantasy has been that would be the common house um whether that happens or not, I don't know. Fortunately, we do have a lot of friends all within walking distance of where he lives in Sebastopol. 
once we're 85, I'm not quite sure we're going to be walking to each other's house. Maybe but, scooterable? Um, scooterable? <laughs> uh, no, one's over kind of a big hill, which is oh. you know, good exercise now for walking. It's like great. Um, anyway, I'm, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. But he, I don't think he, I don't think he could live in close proximity with others. Okay. No. From what I've heard, communities don't appreciate when one spouse has been dragged in or drugged in because it usually well, doesn't yeah, work not out very well. Good, they're not, yeah, they're right. not going to be a good community member. Right. You right. know? Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, so have you felt at least a part of the co-housing community because of the work you did and uh, the conferences and learning? Oh, yeah, that? for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, for many, many years, I would say probably starting in 04, most of my... Free, to, free professional time, let's call it, has been towards wanting to make co-housing happen. So that's that's meeting with, um, I've met with architects who were in the senior housing space to, you know, potentially get them interested or get their clients interested. I've met with developers who, let's say, did affordable housing, you know, to get them interested. I've met with, um, that, that was probably the focus is like, you know, I, I would hear about a development project that sometimes in the conditions of approval even used the word co-housing. So I, you know, would hunt down that developer. And um, so I spent a lot of years in going to the conferences and taking whatever workshops there were. And then I got invited to be on the board. And so I served on the COHO US board for whatever that was, three years, and I'm still involved. I'm, I'm part of the recruitment committee, always looking to recruit members for the board. Um, I used to present at the co-housing conferences. Well, I guess that was 2019 was the last one I presented at. I assume, and, well, everything kind um, of broke off into Zoom for the last year. Into yeah. Zoom so, ones, yeah. yeah. So I haven't, I haven't uh, done any of the Zoom conferences. Um, so... Yes, I have felt very much a part of the co-housing movement, for sure. And then you said that, uh, you know, it is a struggle to find affordable. So is the way that you did it with, does that do to my recording? (laughs) It looks like we're still recording. Probably stopped it. Probably stopped it. Well, it looks like we're still recording. All right, let me just start. Okay, hopefully we are still running now. We had a phone call there. I don't know if that came through or just went clunk. I know the dog just yawned, so it sounds like a monster or something back there. Um, but I was I wondering, know. <laughs> um, I was wondering if uh, the model you did that way made it more affordable, or it was about the same when. I would say the same. You know, land is land. Construction costs are construction costs. It was market rate housing all the way. It did not make it. It was just a different process, but there was, it was definitely not any, not any more affordable than it being done any other way. Uh, however, were, were people at least able to go to a bank and get a loan versus, you know, oh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. so that part yeah. is a little yeah. easier than the ones where you have to put a lot down. Um, yeah, I mean, there were people who, you know, had expressed that one of the reasons why they were attracted to Phoenix Commons was they didn't have to put big chunks of money at risk. Mm-hmm. Like when you're buying land, you know, 
and you're paying a lot of professionals, you're putting a lot of money at risk. So that that was the beauty of Phoenix Commons that you didn't have to do that. Very nice. Now tell me yeah. what you've got. You have a future project here, one that's really getting started yeah, with land. Project. So I'm buying a 40-acre farm in Virginia. <laughs> and part of the idea of it just sort of all happened quite organically it really wasn't intentional <laughs> an unintentional community i love it an unintentional community because <laughs> like certain things happen in my life that way anyway um i wasn't really looking for 40 acres either but this is what appeared and so the big the big picture and i'm not sure how fast or slow it'll happen is sort of a bring your own home concept you know like I'm not going to sell land but if you want to come and rent you know a half an acre or something you know you can come bring your tiny home or you can put a yard up or you can park your van or you know like because I'm not really interested in building you know building buildings that's not like what I want to do and it just struck me as like well, that's a way to make it affordable. Yeah. Just you know, rent you know, rent a square of land out to someone, and um, it, it won't set. You know, unfortunately, it won't take care of the poorest of the poor, right? Because I mean, I'm not. I'm, I I don't see myself buying like ten tiny homes or putting up ten tiny homes and then renting them out for like as cheap as humanly possible, but I will rent out a plot of land for someone who wants to bring their tiny home for as inexpensive as humanly possible. I'm not doing it to make money, but the property has to sustain itself. Okay. And, um, and I mean, what we are going to do initially is put up some yurts. This is the plan. <laughs> get permitted as a campground for at least part of the parcel, put up some yurts and wall tents to Airbnb immediately to generate income to then do the next thing, which would be um, another septic system and another well, you know, and things like that to be able to have a small community live there. So that's kind of the big idea. And is there interest in farming? Because it sounds like it's going to be on some good farmland or the area yeah, has oh, lots uh, of farms. Yeah, well, that's my, my son's going to live there and that's his main interest okay. is, is farming. Yeah, so absolutely there'll be farming for sure. And that's that, again, the Airbnb part is all to generate income to make all the other better things happen that we want to have happen there. Like he wants to raise food and give a lot of it away to poor people great so you know but we need income to support efforts like that so again i don't really i don't know i actually was watching a youtube video yesterday of a tiny home park in san diego they bought a rundown rv park and they've been building tiny homes on it but they're renting them for what i think is a lot of money and maybe Mm. because it's san diego like a 300 square foot one was like I think 1750 a month plus. Huh. I don't know if that's below market price or not in that area. Who knows? Yeah. Well, it might be below market rent 
for mm -hmm. like I don't know a four hundred square foot studio, right. but seventeen fifty, <laughs> you know. Plus, I think there was another chunk of change for utilities that was just for mm -hmm. the rent. Um, you know, two thousand a month is still if you're not making a lot of money. That's still a friggin' lot of money. Yeah. You know, so I'm hoping to not do that. Well, I think Virginia you know, I, will be different as far, and that's why I think a lot of like. Yeah, a lot of people have been coming to Virginia, um, like Barbara King, is that her name, Kingslover, uh, came here to live off the Kingslover, land for a year. Yeah. Uh, the guy from Omnivore, Deliver, uh, Omnivore Dilemma, he was right near where you're going to be. There's Polyface Farms, which right. they do everything right. organic. So, like, Virginia, I guess, is good fertile land and a lot more affordable than California. <laughs> oh, way more affordable. And, and again, you know... I, I'm not sure what the, you know, what the going rate for hosting a tiny home. I know there, I found a website about hosting tiny home. It was Australia, so it wasn't a good site. But I have a friend who's very active in the tiny home community. And we, you know, I want to connect with her about that. Like if you're hosting, you know, what, what's a decent rate you know, again, the idea is to make it affordable, not to make a zillion dollars kind of thing. Right. So that's kind of the, the next idea. Right. Bring your own home. I love it. Instead of bring your own beer. Because you're cheap. Yeah. You know, you can, yurts, you can buy like a 20 footer for like 20K, which again, for the poorest of the poor, I'm not going to be able to solve for that. But there are many people who could afford twenty thousand dollars not two hundred thousand dollars right right and so, then they can have an instant community or at least check it out or the van life is a kind of right. nomad community and very popular right. nomad land just came out so yeah i actually have a call with someone uh who's they're calling their thing van life they have actually a very nice website so I thought they were like further down the road than me. They don't have land. So they have the idea, but they don't have land. There you go. There you go. Very nice. So we're having a call tomorrow. <laughs> now, do you have any sort of website or way for people to get in touch with you? Or should we, we not, figure that update not, later? Not yet. You okay. know, like, you know, I haven't even closed on the property yet. <laughs> Let's do that first um, so before we have people show up. <laughs> we need to do that first. Needs to get a, I mean, like for my son, there was a three bedroom house on the property. We're going to rent that, um, which at some point in time, should a, a community occur, I'm hoping that the funds from renting spots and Airbnb and all that will be such that I don't have to rent the house and that could then become community house. Um, but the first, but we're going to rent that first, and then put up a house for my son, which is going to be a. Sh he found this company that is essentially a shed company, but will you know build you interior walls for like fourteen thousand dollars. Wow! Now it doesn't include the foundation, but or the utilities. But again, you know, probably have like a whole. So if I was going to do more structures. It would either be that I was actually providing, it would be more like that or yurts. Okay. You know, where literally I could have a structure in place for like $25,000. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah. I think it's Correct. great. Well, thank you. Is there anything else I missed that, 
that we didn't hit on today? I don't think so. Okay, and we can update later. You want your audience to know. I think uh, from what we talked before, it looks like we got most of the the stuff, and then uh, uh, they could contact me, and uh, I can get them in touch with you, and then we'll yeah. have to do a update later. Um, okay. And see how the farm give me is a few going. <laughs> yeah, give me a few. Give me a few months because we have to go and uh, submit for permit to to put the like yurts and wall tents oh. up. You know, I want to kind of do everything above board, and so um, that's going to be a little bit of a process. So fun times. <laughs> well, yeah. thank you so much. 